Welcome to Women Disrupting Tech. My name is Dirk Jan Hupkes and on this podcast I give the women who work in tech the platform they need to inspire and empower each other. Join me on a journey into the world of entrepreneurship, funding, biases and role models to discover the strategies for success in the tech industry. In other words, how women can disrupt tech. Are you ready to listen? Hey, welcome back to Women Disrupting Tech. Thank you for listening. You're about to listen to episode 3 with Arosha Brouwer. Arosha Brouwer is the CEO and co-founder of Quan. Quan helps busy teams build healthy rituals to improve employee well-being and team performance. This episode was originally recorded at the end of October 2022, and October is Mental Health Awareness Month. On this episode, Arosha and I will discuss why employee well-being should be a strategic priority and not just in Mental Health Awareness Month, but the whole year around. What's it like to be the CEO of a tech startup as a non-techie and how data and traction throw biases out of the window. So please welcome to Women Disrupting Tech, Arosha Brouwer. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Good. The first question I ask everyone who comes on is how you got into your current position, a.k.a. why do you do what you do? That's a good question. So why do I do what I do? Well, I'm firstly, I'm extremely passionate about the topic. Um, Quan, we famously say we're a movement wrapped in software. So every day when I wake up in the morning, I'm reminded that by uh, shedding more light on the topic of well-being, making people more aware, um, and also helping organizations create a better environment for people, we're, we're improving the world. Um, so that is, that is why I do what I do and I, and I work with an amazing team. Um, yeah, and I, and, I, and I think that we have the, the ability to positively impact the world. So that's why. Okay, so improving uh, or making this world a bit of a better place by improving uh, people's well-being. Absolutely. Good. Uh, and why is well-being an important topic for important topic for organizations then? Many different reasons, um, but essentially, when people are well, um, that's when you get the best of them, right? Um, yeah. So, organizations have an important role because uh, most of our working hours, waking hours, are spent at work. And so on one hand, you want people that are well to be at work so that they can do their best work. But also um, by having an environment where people can uh, operate effectively um, without a, a negative consequence on their well-being, it also means that they're also well when they are not at work, which is when they're with their families and with their friends, with society. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Not only are you creating an environment where people um, uh, are in a better state of mind, etc. Uh, you're also creating an environment where uh, people go home in, in, in generally happier moods. Okay, well, that's that's obviously a good thing. Is it also uh, good for profitability of uh, of companies to have better employee well-being? Yeah, absolutely. Again, um, you know, if you look at the topic of performance, um, people perform best. Um, 
when uh, well well being is taken care of. I mean, you, you just look at this the sports world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's that famous sort of um, well known well known truth, I guess, which is you know ten percent is performance, ninety percent is recovery. Um, so if you want people to perform, they they need to have time to recover and take care of themselves. And, you know, if organisations can do a better job of, of creating environments which en- enable or allow people to do that in whatever suits them, um, you know, at the end of the day, you're going to you're gonna be having much more high performance. Okay, so it's, it's, uh, it's also managing uh, the recovery stage uh, then that plays a role. And yeah. how, how, how can organizations uh, facilitate this? So there's two parts of it. One is it needs to be seen as a, a strategic priority. Um, over the last sort of two and a half years, um, we've spoken to thousands of people. We've, we've had thousands of people go through the quant assessment as well. And one of the sad realities in all of this, um, as we've seen the topic of mental health become more and more important, um, but still when it comes to is it a strategic priority, um, it's not always seen as a a, a topic which should be, um, what's the word, guiding uh, a a strategy. It, 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 It typically is sitting in HR as a topic, um, hardly ever measured, um, lots of initiatives to improve well-being, but it's not really woven into the core DNA of the organisation and how it's run. So one very clear way to make well-being a strategic priority is to put a measure on it. So um, start measuring how people are, how they're, they're feeling, how teams are, um, and then secondly, instead of just having a whole bunch of nice-to-have initiatives that people need to make time for, uh, incorporate it into your core workflow. So teach uh, leaders and, and teams how to use data to actually improve the way of working, right? So instead of just going to a mental health uh, uh, webinar once a month, teach teams how to actively um, reduce things which are contributing to stress at work. Maybe it's too many meetings. Um, uh, you know, um, maybe it's the fact that no one eats lunch. Uh, you know, whatever it is. But using data, using conversation, teach teams to get ahead of problems by saying, "Hey, this is not right. We need to do something about it." Um, hopefully, I've answered the question. Yeah. How How does Quan help with that? Because I, as I understand it, your your uh, data driven as well yeah that's right so we, we our, our platform is essentially enables everything that i've just talked about so we our one liner is we help busy teams create healthy rituals and we do that in two ways one is we've developed a, a very holistic assessment um, which looks at five key dimensions the body the mind meaning self-fulfillment social connectedness and we look at it across both personal and work life we don't believe that there is a well-being at work we believe there's just one well-being and that matters of home and work affect the other um, so this holistic score um, uh, is one part um, and it makes individuals uh, more aware of, of, of the top three things that they should be working on um, but we also aggregate it to a team so then a team is more aware that oh 
um, you know, this particular quarter, anxiety or work-life balance or concentration are the things that we need to address. And that's one part. The second part is we teach teams to do one thing very, very well, and that is to do uh, a team wellbeing retro every quarter. And it's a two-hour meeting where it goes from um, sharing insights, looking at these three low-scoring um, well-being subdimensions and then converting them into one or two rituals to improve that the next quarter. And these rituals are evidence-based um, but also peer-reviewed. So it's what other teams similar to you are using. Um, so it's really one part teaching teams and organisations to measure and the other part creating a systemic way for or a systematic way for teams to continuously check in and improve the way of working. And that's that's what we do. Okay, so the important uh, strategic prioritization comes also with doing it consistently, I understand. Yeah, I think, you know, when we look at sort of how a company typically um, uh, comes up with a strategy and, and then and – then, says, okay, these are the really important things, usually straight after identifying what's really important, the next step is creating a metric um, so that you could measure if you're hitting that or not. Um, so with us, we have a, a wellbeing um, index or a score. So then the companies can also track, like, are we in a healthy range or not? Um, so, so that is where I think from a strategic priority perspective, it means that when you have you know, your typically scale-ups use OKRs um, and tech companies. So if, if you mm -hmm. have an OKR um, around, you know, product metrics and, and commercial metrics, then from the people side, besides engagement, you should have a wellbeing metric. So then you're also measuring not just what you are achieving but how you are achieving it and how the people are. And this is a more holistic measure of how your people are than an engagement metric because actually engagement is one sub-dimension of well-being. Mm -hmm. Good. So let's talk startups because you just launched, uh, well, just uh, anyway, you recently launched uh, uh, your first uh, version of the of the, of the Quan software. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as I understand it, for startups, uh, product launches are uh, high-pressure environments. Mm -hmm. So, how do you deal? How did you deal with that? Uh, the, with the well-being, how did you take care of the well-being while still uh, making sure that things were getting done? Yeah, that's a good question. So, first of all, we use our software. <laughs> so that's uh -huh. that's one one very clear answer. We're aware of of, of the the different. Um, metrics and, and sort of what are the topics that we need to address. And then the second thing is we have very open communication and discussion uh, at a team level. And thirdly, what's also very, very important are the uh, manager one-on-ones. Uh, um, and, you know, all of those contribute to a culture where people feel safe enough to speak up if the workload is too much um, and, that expectations are based on both where the organisation needs to get to as well as how people feel. Um, and, you know, there are times when, you know, this just this weekend I was working during the weekend. Typically I don't. Um, 
And I'm very, very super conscious uh, as one of the co-founders that my behavior sets the, uh, not trend, but it sets an example for the rest of the team. So it's important that during times where I am sending emails later at night or working on the weekend that I then have an open conversation with my team that, hey, this has happened. This is the reason why it's happened. And I'm not making a habit out of it. And so, yes, there are going to be moments of high stress as as many or any organization go through, especially during product launches, but these should be the exception and not the rule. And the team should be discussing, right, we're going to go through a period of high pressure and then it should it, then it should relax. Um, and having open communication um, about that means that people are aware that, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like you're just going through a tunnel uh, up until an exit. Mm-hmm. But I, uh, so I hear you say communication and open, uh, open uh, and transparent, but I also hear you say that there's an element of accountability yeah. in there where <laughs> you say, okay, hey, listen, I've been working this weekend. This is a reason X, Y, Z. Yeah. How open are you on that uh, in terms of, okay, I, I understand in, in, in a product launch situation, this, yeah, just, just happens. But I can also imagine that there are there have been times where you had to cover uh, cover some bases to avoid uh, uh, problems. Do you Absolutely. also openly discuss this? Yeah, I mean we have a pretty open uh, culture just by the definition of what we stand for and and um, you know Quan's mission and the kind of people that we attract. But we have a very open, transparent culture, um, and there have been plenty of times where I myself have you know, admit it when I made a mistake, when I put too much pressure on myself typically um, and 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 the and the effects that it's had on me personally. I talk uh, openly about my, um, I wouldn't say personal life, but life at, at home. Um, and I do that because I think it's important for the team to also see the other parts of me that are important. And, and, and if I'm able to do it, then then the rest of the team are encouraged to do that, you know. And and I think that's kind of that that example setting, that role modelling, I don't know what you would call it. I mean, we're a very small team, mm. but it's kind of setting the example for how things are done. Um, and it also, when you do it that way, um, then people feel that, you know, they can also speak up if something's not right. And I think that is fundamentally important that if the pressure is too much or whatever, that, you know, you've got someone sort of stepping up and saying, hey, I, I don't know if I can do that because of X, Y, Z. And that's what you fundamentally want, right? You want people to be able to address topics directly and in a timely manner. Um, and, and I think that's where transparency, openness um, leads to some level of um, or supports accountability. Okay, so people need to be to feel okay to speak up if, oh, if need. Yeah, there's huge loads of research on psychological safety but indeed the 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 context that you provide is 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 critical good now you're the co-founder and ceo of a tech startup Mm -hmm. but you're not a tech nerd as i understand (laughs) it so what do you think it needs to be a good founder or ceo of a tech startup then that's interesting yeah well i think you know if uh, Lucy brings, Lucy, my co-founder, brings the product um, 
amazing product knowledge, um, having led your hundreds of people uh, in that in that domain and, and having years of experience. We have a fractional CTO who's amazing and we have a very strong dev team. Um, and, and what I bring to the equation is the domain expertise. So I understand the, the topic very well. Um, and I think that at the end of the day, like, we're trying to solve a problem and we're using technology to solve that problem. And so you need people that understand the problem space. You need people that um, uh, understand what kind of technology you need. To, you need to have all these different elements, right? And so as long as you bring something to the table um, and, you know, if you so happen to be the founder or a, a very good generalist, then you can probably sit in the CEO's seat, at least within a startup. Um, so, yeah, you know, Ultimately, how do I lead a tech startup without being a techie? Well, I don't try and lead the technical components. Um, I leave, leave that to the expert that's brought on for that reason. Um, and you work with them um, to ensure that you have like a, a very solid and, and well thought out way of doing things. Um, but I, I, I don't think you need to be a technical person to lead a, a, a tech uh, company, as long as you have an amazing co-founder, at least leadership team that that can do it, would be the the answer. So, let, let me let me dig a bit uh, deeper in the, into this. Yep. Do, do you think uh, you don't need any technical knowledge, or do you think okay, just some high level technical stuff and the ability to ask questions is crucial? Yeah, indeed. The, yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. Being able to um, ask questions and, you know, I, I did a degree many, many years ago, like 20 years ago in business systems um, and then I spent the first 10 years as a, a, a strategy consultant and I've worked a lot in digital teams um, and so I worked a lot with technical people um, and I think having the ability to sort of, um, sort of write write up not workflows but sort of do some kind of logical reasoning and mapping. Um, it means that you can ask questions and then it should logically make sense in your head. Um, but I don't think you need to go into the details of like can you code and, and all sorts of things like that, right? So um, I think, you know, do I understand the problems place? Yes. Do I understand a high level what the solution should do? Yes. Can I go and code and build that solution? No. Um, and, and again, we are in the startup phase, um, um, at some point and hopefully sometime soon, it'll start to be scale up phase. Um, you know, the question is at that point, do I have what it takes to be a, a scale up CEO, right? Um, uh, and what are the, what are the requirements at that moment? And so I think, yeah, you, you don't need technical skills, but you do need a a lot of different skills to be sitting sitting at the at the CEO uh, chair because you your span of control and responsibility is quite wide ranging. Yeah, I, w- I w- was about to say. Do you then also uh, need to be able to put a team together? Uh, that is, there was a we had a really smart sales coach that we worked with a year uh, early this year, who said that the job of the CEO is twofold. One is to um, get capital for the company. Now, that could either be through you know, 
uh, investment or revenue. And the other part is to deploy that capital. And typically, the majority of the capital is deployed on people. So the ability to hire amazing people uh, becomes critically important or is critically important. So absolutely, the ability, especially in the early stage, um, people are joining you know, the purpose, of course, the mission of the company, but largely they are evaluating the founders. Um, so our ability to convey uh, our mission uh, and our ability to attract uh, amazing people is, is, is really what's going to guarantee uh, our success. Okay, so so you said that the CEO has two jobs. One is to deploy capital, uh, which includes hiring amazing people to to do the job that yep. needs to be done. Yeah. And the other one is uh, attracting capital. Yeah. Uh, as I understand that you have been able to raise uh, capital twice now. One was through Y Combinator. Yeah. Um, and in an earlier episode, one of my guests uh, said that uh, investors look different. Uh, at uh, a female founder pitching from a male founder. Have you seen that in any way? We've had a couple of instances, I would say, with like subpar angels. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we've had like weird kind of advice given to us from people at that stage that thought, you know, they were helping us raise funds. Obviously, the ones that we raised capital from, we never experienced that problem. And, I mean, I've pitched, I think, to at least 60 or 70 VCs and I've never really walked away thinking that was because I was female or because Lucy and I are female. Um, But, you know, I was raised by an engineer and and Lucy's got a very strong product and tech background. So when we go in, we're, we're going in with facts and logic and when we come out, we're looking at... You know, where the story didn't make sense from fact and logic. Um, um, you know, of course, I'm not. I'm not sitting here to deny that um, bias doesn't exist because that's just not true. Um, but I, I believe that when we're talking about the the issue of female founders um, and not having enough, um, and maybe not enough getting venture backed maybe it's that we need to improve the top of the funnel um which means that there's probably a lot of amazing future female founders that haven't taken the leap um because of what they've read or because of um you know because of all these scary statistics but maybe if we had more of them taking a step forward um, then the best of them and the best of us would then just get the funding because the problem that we're solving and the way that we're going about it is just the best. Um, and, you know, there is there is bias, but I'll tell you one thing which can um, throw that, throw all of that out the window and that's traction, you know. So if you've built something which is, selling or being adopted um you've got an amazing team together and 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 you and your growth rates really high mm-hmm. i don't think anyone can argue with that and that's the way that lucy and i have approached it 
okay so you just figured let's build something that works and then they cannot deny us funding exactly exactly that's what was that's what my dad always said an engineer with uh, three degrees and you know he always said to me like you know when you're in a room try to be the person in the room with all the facts you know and then and then all the other opinions is just opinion right so if you can you can say well that's all great that you feel that way or think that way but at, at the end of the day this is this is the, this is the traction this is the trajectory and and, and here's the facts like I, I think the point is clear right <laughs> so yeah <laughs> so that's what we like to lead in with okay um you said that we need uh, to increase the the top of the funnel, uh, have more people, uh, more women step up to be uh, founders. Yeah. Um, if you would, let, let's go back a bit, uh, uh, look back, and um, if you would give your younger self advice, at, uh, let's say yourself at the beginning of this whole uh, Quan adventure, mm. what would you tell your younger self? What, what advice would you give her? Um, it's something that Lucy and I tell each other now and when things look a bit um, gloomy and that is trust the process. Um, sometimes you feel like you might be at the end of the road. We don't feel that a lot these days, but we certainly did in the first year. And it, it was like doom or gloom, you know, constantly. Um but at some point um, we started to see that when we thought we'd come to the end of the rope, some extra rope would appear. Um, and, you know, I could have saved myself and Lucy could have saved, saved herself a lot of heartache had we had that um, gift of hindsight, which is just trust it. And sometimes when things don't work out, it's because something better is around the corner for whatever whatever it's worth. Um, and this this whole thing is a process. It's like, you know, so just enjoy the moments and, you know, you're going, you're going to have a wild ride and it will be a wild ride and there'll be ups and downs sometimes in a day as opposed to in, in a week. But trust the process and no matter what happens, um, even if it's the worst day ever, it'll get better. Um, and and life is is more than just you know the the company you're building. It's how you treat your people. It's how you treat your family. It's how you treat yourself. And so remember that. Um, uh, and and th- and that would be it. Okay, I just want to circle back a bit to the um, to the to the bias. Um, how does bias impact well-being inside a company? Because surely it exists within teams as well, I would assume. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not an um, expert on biases. I'm going to put my hand up straight away. But I can tell you again when there's data um, and you're talking about data, um, you, you can't escape that fact. So... If a team do an assessment and the low scoring scores are anxiety at work, stress at work, uncertainty at work, uh, those are the topics that the team need to discuss. So 
you know, even if you're biased and you're like this high-performing manager that thinks that this is all part of the startup game, you, you cannot escape the fact that this is what the team was scoring the lowest on and, and hence the biggest concerns within the team. So um, that would be the answer. So data um, helps. Um, um, and, yeah, like like biases to a large extent are your blind spots, right? So um, there are certain things that we just, you know, we're, just the way that we, we're geared, these, these biases exist um, to help us make certain decisions much more quicker than, than normal, right? And so... You, you, you can't always be aware of it. You can't always um, uh, uh, be conscious about the bias. So you need to create structures to bring it down to fact um, and create structures so that you can address problems in a, in a collective manner um, rather than have one or two people addressing it. Um, I would, that, that would be my response to that. So bring it really bring it down to facts using data, yeah, and measurements, yeah, yeah that helps. And then discuss on the basis of that. Yeah, exactly. And so less about opinion. I mean, of course, people can share their stories, but it's it's it shouldn't just be like I think, that, you know, this is what we need to address. No, the data shows that this is the topic that we need to address. You know, I th- there's no excuse in a in a, in a time like now for us to have people talking about opinions on topics which impact uh, a lot of people. Agree. I have two more questions left. Sure. Uh, one is if you would write a letter to your future self, what would you put in that letter? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, um let's assume that there's success for Quan, whatever that looks like, um, then uh, it would be a very simple reminder, <laughs> which is you've committed to spend uh, your future on the topic of well-being um, and, you com- and you've made a commitment to look at the topic of education next. So celebrate this win, but remember that the education system, especially when it comes to well-being of children, needs to be your next topic. Um, and make sure you take some time now to um, go and explore Southeast Asia because that was a promise that I made myself, <laughs> um, uh, which I've already done, but I'd like to go live there. So I think that's that's what I would say. Okay. So well, there's a bit of traveling involved as well, I hear. Yeah, I mean, even now. So I, I, I think even now we do it. But I, I'd love to go and live in Southeast Asia for a bit. <laughs> okay. Any particular country? Um, so I'm Sri-, Sri Lankan heritage. So it's it's mm-hmm. maybe going to be Sri Lanka or um, Thailand. Okay. Yeah. I've been in both countries, I have to say, and I, I like both countries. Ah, great. <laughs> F- Food-wise, it's, uh, yeah, it's different, but yeah, yeah it's uh, both, both uh, I really like very much. So, Wonderful. So thanks very much for a great conversation. If people would like to learn more about uh, Quan and about yourself, where would you like to di- direct them? Uh, well, please visit... Um www.quanwellbeing.com and uh, you can also 
connect with me on LinkedIn, just look under Arosha Brower and I think there's only one person. So happy to connect. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Arosha and I hope that you've enjoyed our conversation as much as we did. You can learn more about Arosha and about Quan and of course connect with Arosha via the links in the show notes. And as usual, you can find the show notes at womendisruptingtech.blog. There you can also find the other episodes of this podcast plus blog posts about topics related to diversity, equity and inclusion in tech. On the same website, you can also become a member of the Women Disrupting Tech community and becoming a member has two benefits. One is that you're the first to learn about blogs and upcoming events and the other is that you get an email once new episodes go on air. To become a member, simply enter your best email address at the bottom of the show notes. If you're listening to Women Disrupting Tech on Spotify, Apple, Google or GoodPods, would you consider giving the show a rating or a review? Because that way you can help other people find the podcast. And if you want to contribute to more diversity in tech, please consider sharing this podcast with friends, family and co-workers because this way you give Arosha and other guests that I have on the podcast the platform they need to make this podcast obsolete in 10 years. Finally, if you want to connect with me, you can do that via the website womendisruptingtech.blog or via LinkedIn. Just look up my name and you'll find me. Once again, thank you for listening and I hope to see you in the next episode.